Welcome to Line of Credit, a podcast by Merrick's Capital, where we bring you insights from across the private credit space in agriculture, commercial real estate, infrastructure, energy, and more. Your host is Adrian Redlick, Executive Chairman and Chief Investment Officer at Merrick's Capital. Our guest this episode is John Ma, Founder and Managing Director at 360 Property Group. Welcome, everyone, to the line of credit number eight. Um, I'm Adrian Redley, the CIO of Merrick's Capital, and today I've got John Ma. I'm the head of 360 Property and founder of 360 Property with us. Welcome, John. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks for having me. John is a guru in selling off-the-plan apartments in both pretty much across the east coast of Australia and has had one of the leading businesses in the space for a long time. But, John, why don't you give us a bit of background how you got to this point? Yeah, it's, it's it's been a a long journey and a fun journey, Adrian. It's uh, I originally started doing uh, refurbishments that were B grade office buildings along St Kilda Road in Melbourne when in the late eighties when we had the bust and there was residual office leasing stock and redundant office buildings. So uh, one Albert Road and Park Central five nine eight St Kilda Road were converted. These B grade and C grade office buildings into apartments, and that sort of kicked off off the trend. Gordon Place, and then uh, eventually that that whole off the plan space kicked off in Melbourne. And uh, I've been dragged up and down the coast with clients ever since. And uh, my journey included working in house with uh, builder developers, which really gave me insight to how construction impacted the feasibility and how to best maximise feasibility through buildability and marketability, and ultimately how to manage sales risk. And step back out of that uh, space. Uh, I worked for a company called Beckton and stepped out of there. I started my own business about uh, 14 years ago and uh, haven't looked back since. So, John, how many apartments do you think you sold over the journey? Oh, don't ask me that question. I'd have to look in my bio. Um, Adrian, it, 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 it's, God, I'd, I'd have to say, God, I don't know, 10, 10 to 15,000 apartments our business has sold. Yeah, it's an incredible number. I know that there's lots of developers around the country that have relied on 360 property to help them run their campaign and organize the sales and distribution might be worth just touching on that because listeners might perceive you know you're just an agent but that's not really it's more about the design of the sales program and the implementation so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what does a typical project look like for you yeah typically we would get engaged early when a developer finds a site and we give them advice in terms of product mix that uh we create the highest and best use for that site and we go through and work with their architects, work with their in-house development managers or external development managers, uh, working up feasibility models to give them a level of com- confidence to submit an offer on the site. And then from that point uh, moving forward, if they're successful, we work with them all the way through the design process. We have a, a, a saying here, you know, if we can get the product right, it should sell itself. So, you know, we have a good understanding of the market because we're very fortunate to work across a breadth of project with some amazing developers in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, and more recently Adelaide, which gives us a really good insight to, to where the market's going, what the trends are. And that's all sort of backed up with our own in-house tech that, that keeps track of all sales and all trends. So we can pick up on trends in the market pretty quickly, which we can feed back to our developer clients when they're going through those initial 
planning stages to make offers and then fine-tune those as we go along through the planning journey. And then ultimately, we work with them to develop a sales and marketing strategy, ultimately focusing on selling the last unit in the development. So you have incredible insight, I guess, into what's going on in markets through those channels, which makes you such a valuable member of our advisory board. It's been an incredible ride the last three years alone, hasn't it? You know, you sort of recounted some stories of selling products and apartments as COVID hit from the office. Maybe you want to give listeners sort of a contrast of what where the market was two years ago and, and some of the things that happened versus what you're seeing today. Sure. Well, it, it was was interesting for for those of us that were uh, locked up in our homes here in Victoria. Um, we had clients interstate and normally I'd do a fair bit of travel. And uh, during that period, uh, we weren't allowed to travel and we had a major project that we were launching in Adelaide. We weren't allowed to hold inspections here locally in Victoria. So our business here went very quiet. Uh, it was it was really just a, a matter of keeping focus on the, the health and wellbeing of our staff more than the commercial aspects of our business during that period. And the thing that kept me sort of mentally stimulated was trying to understand how we could create some sales opportunities online and interstate and this Adelaide project, which was the largest residential project to be launched in Adelaide in the last 10 years, which was the redevelopment of the Adelaide markets, uh, which is Adelaide's most significant uh, tourist asset. And we set up a strategy. Unfortunately, we'd spent enough time down in Adelaide working through the strategy and employing local agents and subcontracting them in. And we had to put a lot of faith into expediting that strategy remotely, which to the credit of these agents and the the client that we work with there, uh, we executed extremely well. And we had 233 apartments and we sold 200 in the first month. So, you know, for a business, it was a great result at a time of need when, you know, most of our businesses transacted here in Victoria, a little bit in Brisbane and less so in Sydney. And so it was... um, it really got us through COVID, the, that ability to, to pivot, and then that's an overused word now that we, we all used. But we were, I think, very fortunate to have a client here that was based here in Melbourne that realised that the project marketing resources in Adelaide were thin on the ground and uh, asked us to get involved in the project. And we went over there and we did a lot of training and managed the implementation of the sales over there by selecting and subcontracting contracting local agents. And that's really how our business has grown. We've we've expanded organically through our Victorian-based clients who have said, hey, we're, we're going to Brisbane, for example, and uh, we've spoken to all the agents and we're lacking a bit of confidence. We, would you open an office up there and and do our project and all of a sudden we've got a result and we've got a, a business in, in Brisbane that's, you know, sold three, 4,000 apartments uh, off the back of our success. And you know, as, as the journey's gone on, we've been very lucky to uh, stick with a core group of developers that have supported us and we continue to evolve with those developers and we're really humbled by their loyalty, which gives us the confidence to, you know, push the parameters time and time again to create a, a competitive edge for their developments. So we've gone through three cycles in probably three years where Things shut down, nothing was selling, as you touched. Then you experienced absolute boom times where there was lots of liquidity and lots of things were selling. And now all we read is difficult times in pre-sales and apartments. Tell us what you're seeing in the market today. Yeah, there's no doubt there's there's been some headwinds, Adrian. It's uh, it's 
the market is very sporadic. It's the, the media will report uh, a builder going bust every week. And then on the other hand, you, you, you hear the auction clearance rates on the weekend here in Victoria are at 77% and the market's bottomed out. So, you know, it depends what you're reading and who you're talking to really. But we're seeing over the, the most significant effect on our business and the large development space in terms of residential has been the exodus of the offshore buyers, um, mainly out of Asia. So the volume of sales has dropped significantly. But to counteract that, that luxury end of the market, the downsizer market has kicked in. So we're doing fewer transactions, but the transactions are now at a, at a lot of higher price point. So Three years ago, our average transaction across the business was about 680,000. Now our average transaction would be about 1.75 million. And it's a completely different customer. We've had to reinvent our sales team to focus on this luxury end of the market. And our customers, in terms of the developer customers, are now really focusing on those AAA rated sites where they know that they can create an absolute premium product to justify this new construction cost regime. So are you suggesting you know, the bottom end of the market is too hard? It's, it's difficult in terms of, or there's just, you think the buyers are just gone for now. Do you see them coming back in the near term? We have seen a return of the offshore buyers, particularly since the Chinese government have mandated the return to face-to-face learning. And the thing that's holding back those new high-rise apartment launches that have traditionally been that sort of investor stock that the parents of these Asian purchases buy for their students their children, students back here in Australia. We've seen a lot of the residual stock that's sitting on the market being absorbed. But in Melbourne alone, in those traditional areas of Melbourne CBD, South Bank, Docklands, Fisherman's Bend, there'd be in excess of 3,000 apartments that are near finished, finished, sitting around uh, default sales that purchasers haven't settled on that are in the market. Now, the absorption rate of those has uh, the velocity of sales through through that excess stock has increased dramatically. And we expect that that's, that overhang of stock will be absorbed within the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, once that stock is absorbed and no longer there, we think the market will reset at the new price points that justify the increase in construction costs across the market. So you and I met recently with um, a fellow advisory board member who's a developer, and we were talking about cost escalation and he was describing a project that I know you've sold or been part of selling on his behalf where it cost him just under 5000 a square metre to build the apartments um, and he's got a new project just across the road and he's looking at an increase to closer to 7000 a square metre. So we've got a 40% increase in, in two years. But the selling point, you know, in terms of his market has been incredibly resilient. Yeah, and he's um, he's not in a luxury market, probably in that downsizer market. So, are you optimistic that buyers will be able to pay more? Yes, I am, because there's a lack of choice. There's a dramatic undersupply of uh, new projects in the market, and we're seeing that a lot of the big projects have, um, or the big sites, have been bought up by the institutional developers that are keeping them in that build to rent market. So the build-to-sell developments are few and far between, particularly the developments in that sort of suburban fringe area. It's it's very there's, there's very few developments out there, and the projects we have launched this year have gone extremely well. As you know, we um, we've really been aggressive in pursuing the residual stock 
lending game where we really like built form, finished buildings. And you mentioned there's quite a bit of stuff in Melbourne, a little less in, in Sydney, um, some in Brisbane, which we've been financing. I guess our core view, as you know, has been the increasing build costs, very low vacancy rates, rising rentals will support the replacement cost of these apartments. But having said that, the valuations are all coming in down 10 to 15% when we go to lend against a recently completed stock of um, apartments in a, in a building. So valuations are down, yet costs, costs are up. I mean, how should listeners reconcile that? I think we're in a transitional market. And I think as sales velocity increases, which we have seen, particularly with that residual stock, I think the confidence will come back to the valuers. And I think we'll see an increase in the valuations. We've sort of certainly seen an increase in the rents. I think we'll also see with interest rates looking like they're coming, they've peaked out and they're perhaps coming to the end of that upward cycle. You know, if you look at the Commonwealth Bank, they've just dropped their three-year fixed rate. So I think we'll start to see a return of investors both locally and offshore, which will give A, the valuers a lot more confidence and B, will give the developers that are actively seeking sites at the moment to build these high-rise buildings uh, a lot more confidence, knowing that that residual stock is now off the off the table or will be soon and uh, the market will reset. It, it, it always resets, and, and as you know, and I think we're not far off a reset. And I think if you look at Victoria as an example and, and the predicted population growth and you look at the differential in price between Melbourne and Sydney and with Melbourne, if we're looking at Melbourne to overtake Sydney in the next 10 years as um, the highest population in Australia, and if you look at that there's a 30% differential in values at the moment, if that's going to be flipped around, you know, Melbourne's pretty affordable. Yeah, so it's just a matter of time. Matter of I think time. we should sort of share that view. Yeah, the demographics are very supportive for, for Australia. So it's certainly been a value opportunity for us to support owners of apartment stock. And it's you know, good to have your insight when we're contemplating these things as well as others. I think, as we said, you know, the replacement cost is not going down and demand's good. And the valuations currently are at a value point. Now, we're not a purchaser, we're obviously lending at a 60, 65% LVR, which gives us even more cushion. But um, can you just touch a little bit on how you're seeing the velocity of existing stock being cleaned up, maybe now? you know, in here in sort of early May versus compared to Jan Feb or late last year? So I must qualify that. When I say the, the existing stock that's been cleaned up, it's high-rise stock. So I think there's there's markets within markets. You know, there's that premium luxury downsizer market that is still performing well. The, the stock that's being knocked around the most is that traditional investor stock in the the homogenous apartments in these high-rise buildings in and around the CBD that has been attractive to the offshore purchases. Now, because of the lack of offshore students coming in and the lack of travel during COVID, there was large volumes of settlements defaults. Now that the as I said, the, the, the students are coming back. Interest rate cycle is, is topping out. Um, there's renewed confidence in that market, particularly now that rents of vacancy rates are at less than 1%. Um, so we're, we're expecting, you know, I think in the next 12 to 18 months, most of that stock will be absorbed. Certainly the premium stock in the suburbs of traditional blue chip suburbs of Melbourne, the Kews, the Hawthorns, the Turaks, the South Yarrows, the Brightons continues to perform well and set new benchmarks in value, which is in line with the construction cost increases. 
So what are you telling your developer clients? Are you encouraging them to begin development? I mean, obviously, the in pockets, particularly you mentioned CBD and more the commodity stock, is there's some uncertainty and costs are going up. How optimistic are you that you know, they can pass those price rises on and as they deliver into a market in a year's time, two years' time, three years' time? Are you optimistic and are they sharing your views? They are. I think, you know, as as you know, our business, we're very selective about who we partner with and we want to make sure that at every point we can add real value to the development process and our clients. So we, we take on particular projects that we think can justify a successful feasibility and in the current market to justify the new construction cost regime it's got to be an absolute premium site, blue chip site, you know, in one of the best locations in the suburb. As an example, we're, we're doing a project currently for uh, the Piccolo Group in Gore Street, Fitzroy. It, it's a unique site, amazing team of uh, architects. They've got Woods Baggett on that and Hecker Guthrie doing the interiors. He's an extremely experienced developer. First week of sales there, we did $33 million. In six weeks, we did $60 million in sales. So it's it's the right product in the right location with with the right sponsors and the right team behind it. And experience counts in this market. You know, people want to see an experienced team. There's a little bit of nervousness about, you know, who's producing the developer, the development rather. Is it going to be built? Uh, who's funding it? All those things. So they want to see experience. The purchasers want to see an experienced developer with a high level of professionalism in this current marketplace. And have the contracts themselves changed in nature much over the journey, whether it's deposits or um, the ability to rescind contracts? Have you seen much evolution or it's still the same as what we were doing a decade ago? Probably the biggest evolution is is e-contracts as a result of lockdown and selling interstate and selling from home. So e-contracts is the biggest evolution, but the terms uh, of the contracts are are relatively similar uh, as they have been for the last 10 years. We haven't seen a lot of change, no. And we haven't really seen much shift in incentives either, have we, in terms of you know, obviously the office market, for instance, is one that's driven by incentives and the like, but in terms of selling apartments and the like, it's not that much that's sort of thrown in to, to move things. Well, it, what's the change Well, there? it's a good point you make. So this residual stock, some of the developers have been holding that stock for up to five or six years now. They're starting to feel a bit of pain and there's some pretty incredible incentives in the market, particularly here in Victoria, to move some of that stock. For some of the existing stock. Yeah, existing. hasn't moved, yeah. But I think a lot of those developers, when we talked to them about financing existing stock, they were holding it for five years, the the GST regime and others, where that's certainly their their pitch now. Um, it It may have become that as in terms of stock that was hard to move. But in terms of new build contracts and incentives, pretty much the same, aren't they? They haven't haven't shifted and changed. No, no, they haven't. Well, I touched on office before. Um, a lot more conjecture about the supply demand of of office going forward. You know, as we touched on, apartments are going to be in shortage. I think there isn't a forecaster in Australia that doesn't see an incredibly tight residential market. There's just debate about can we afford them. Really, I think is the only debate. Maybe you could just give us a little history. Uh, the late 80s and early 90s, you opened up the the podcast talking about re-retrofitting the likes of BP House at 1 Albert Street, which is an iconic building on St Kilda Road, um, and some others. What's your view on seeing retrofitted office here in demand versus new build in terms of how does it sell? You know, is the offshore buyer going to buy it? Is it only select to um, a few 
a few specific sites, do you think we'll be able to see the retrofit of office again? I think that. And what were some of the learning lessons of the 90s? Yeah, I, I think that market's passed and I think more particularly with the building regulations have changed. And I think, you know, with what happened with Opal Tower and the likes in Sydney, I think to get these old redundant office buildings certified as uh, new resi residential buildings is is difficult today, and I think people are wary about buying something that's not purpose built as a residential building. Um, traditionally, that offshore market is very concerned about old, and they want something brand new and shiny. So I think it would be a lot more difficult now, unless it had some sort of heritage aspect to it. When I say heritage aspect, it had some sort of you know, a, a beautiful heritage facade. It was, you know, warehouse shells, for example, that we we did in the late 80s, early 90s were very popular. But with the land values these days, it's very hard to make those stack up as a project. So you're not optimistic about the refurb of office um, into Resi. So what, we're more likely going to have to see them bulldozed in key precincts and build new buildings. Yeah. And I think with the population growth of Melbourne, you know, land is, is going to be incredibly valued valuable as, as time goes on. And I think it will certainly be able to warrant the demolition and build of, of new apartment buildings in inner city Melbourne. So just talking a little bit strategically, John, as we, we talk about the vision for the future, what are you seeing in terms of new amenity in apartment buildings? You touched on it earlier about the build to rent theme. We're seeing a lot of big institutions trying to replicate what they've done globally with you know, the multi- residential home um, or multi-apartment developments where they're built to hold as one, they're not strata titled, they're held by on one title. There's more value in theory added to those. Are you a believer in the, the build to rent is, and is it going to drive the build to sell market in terms of the quality of product in, in competition? I think that the build to rent model is, is from my point of view, is, is flawed long-term because I think there's always a, a flight to new for tenants and the ability for a developer who's selling off the plan to create the next best thing in terms of amenity, lifestyle amenity for tenants and up-to-date interiors will attract those tenants and they tend to jump from building to building. I think the opportunity in that build-to-rent space is getting uh, multifamily residences closer to the CBD. I think at the moment, you know, most of the apartments in the CBD are one and two bedroom apartments, but I think getting uh, young families back into the CBD to save on the commute, there's uh, new schools opening up in and around the CBD and obviously the universities. And I think there's a real opportunity to attract young families. Uh, So multi-family residences, I think, are the, the opportunity in that build to rent space. It's interesting. Obviously, there's some of your clients and some of mine who are very active in the build to rent. They don't necessarily share the, the view. They see they see long-term value in holding that. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because certainly a lot of the new stock coming to market is going to be build to rent, irrespective, I guess, of differing, differing people's I, views. I, I don't think they're getting the rental premiums they need to get above the market, and we're not seeing that. I think they're, they're, they're leasing them and there's no issue leasing them, but getting that rental premium they need to achieve to make them feasible, uh, I question. Fair enough. I guess Harry Triggerboff's found a way to to make the model work, but it's certainly not been by spending more necessarily on the black. He's built solid stock, but it hasn't been building all that extra amenity into um, buildings. But also, I guess it comes back in his case to buying the land well. That's right. 
it's always position, 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 isn't it? It hasn't really changed that much. So I guess we're we're getting near the the end. Um, in terms of people looking to buy apartments, what message would you give them today? It's one of the, the great things about working in real estate. Everyone's got a view and everyone, because everyone wants to own a home ultimately. Probably the, the biggest message is do your homework. Uh, understand who you're, you're buying off. Understand the reputation of the developer, the reputation of the builder. Uh, understand values in that location. You know, have a shop around, have a look around and understand, you know, who's delivering your product for you and their reputation. I think that's the best bit of advice I can give uh, when buying off the plan. Yeah, it's certainly a, a key message at the moment, isn't it? With so many facets or headwinds, only the best are being delivered. Certainly makes our life as a lender easier because only the best are actually getting projects up and getting those pre-sales and getting to the starting line. There's a there's a general rule, so it's sort of self-selecting. Whereas I think when we look back at 2018, 2019, it really was yeah, a super hot market. There were lots of lesser quality developers delivering lots of product. So I think when we talk to a lot of our investors in our funds, one of the key messages ensuring them is if something gets up and works on a feasibility and actually making sales, it's actually usually a great thing to be financing at the moment. Exactly. And I, I think if anything, this reset has been good for the market because it's it's basically swept out all the inexperienced players and uh, the experienced players have been successful and will continue to be successful creating quality projects across Australia. Well, on that note, John, I want to thank you for um, your time today and your ongoing contribution to Merrick's. And um, I think it's a a reasonably optimistic outlook for supply demand in residential. I guess the pathway over the next two years is, is certainly still to be determined and going to be interesting, but Clearly, we're not seeing a, a supply glut, which I think really puts a floor on the market. Yeah, it's exciting times ahead. Thanks for having me, Adrian. Always great to chat. Great. Thanks, John. Merrick's Capital is an Australian fund manager delivering a truly differentiated multi-strategy offering with extensive investment capability and global experience spanning multiple asset classes. To learn more about Merrick's Capital, head to www.merrickscapital.com.